Good morning, and good morning online. Good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, Let's pray, and uh, then we'll dive into the Word, shall we? Father, as we look at the Word, I pray that you would work in our hearts, and that you would shape us, that you would transform us, that you would challenge and encourage us, that you would ultimately make us more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just Move in power among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If you're like me, you like uh, many of the kind of stories of the heroes of old and how God worked in their lives down through the years. Um, And some of my favorites come from the Victorian era in England, uh, like the time when George Mueller, who was leading an orphanage, and he had thousands of orphans go through the orphanages that he ran, Um, And I don't know how many were in it at this point, dozens, hundreds, who knows, but um, it was a season when they had nothing and and the kitchen manager came rushing in and saying, Mr. Mueller, there's no food whatsoever and it's time for breakfast. And he said, have the kids sit down for breakfast and we'll pray. And, but Mr. Mueller, there's nothing there. God will provide. He was very accustomed to seeing God work and just praying. And so they sat down and and the prayer more or less, if I paraphrase, kind of followed the, the line of, Thank you, God, for the food that we're about to receive. We love you. We, we, we appreciate what you do. Amen. And just as he finishes, there's a knock at the door, and the guy who's driving the milk truck, which is a wagon, um, has just driven it through a pothole, and the wheel broke. And he said, Mr. Miller, I, I don't know if you need anything or not, but I've got to offload all of these many, many gallons of milk in order to get my wheel fixed. Could you guys use some milk? I love stories like that. That's amazing to me, and it would be so cool to have a front row seat to see God work uh, in in a a direct way like that. Or one of my heroes is Charles Spurgeon, basically the same era, also from the UK, pastored the largest church in the world at the time, and they had run out of room, and so they were renting a facility, and it was this new facility that was vast. It was it was mind-blowingly big and they didn't have amplification for a sound system. So he went down to do a sound check and he stood on the platform and just spoke to the empty room, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he heard it thunder appropriately and fade out just the right way, he thought, okay, I can project for this room and he went home. What he didn't know was that there was a maintenance worker up in Upper Gallery who heard him say that, who grew up in church, who knew that verse, and who was immediately convicted by the Holy Spirit, left work that day, went home and spent the whole day praying, and finally came to a place of surrender and trust of Christ, just from a sound check, just from check one, two, three, check one, two, three. God did something miraculous. I love stories like that. Or, or more currently, maybe you've read the stories of Brother Andrew who was a Bible smuggler into many of the restricted access countries. And as he was getting his training, he was training at a school in the UK. And one of the graduation or one of the summer activities was they gave a team, each of them a one pound note. This was the late 50s. So it was Andrew and four other guys. Here's a pound, here's a pound, here's about five pounds between the group said, here's what we want you to do. You have a month, you go wherever you want, and you minister however you want, right? You can have rallies, you can have Bible studies, you can do one-on-ones, just whatever God leads you to do. Go reach people for Jesus, go encourage people in Jesus, go make disciples, and uh, here's your money. This, you have to take care of your own food, your own housing, your own transportation. If you need any materials for the ministry you're doing, you need to rent a hall, you need to provide refreshments, you have to take care of all of that. 
And they're looking at their money going, wow, we're going to have to pass the offering plate a lot. And then he stopped them and he said, no, no, you actually don't get to pass the offering plate. You don't get to talk about money at all. If anyone says, do you have any financial needs, you can answer this and only this. It's in God's hands. That's part of the point. Oh, and by the way, when you get back, we want our one pound back. (laughs) So they go out for a month and when they did come back, by the way, they had... 10 pounds in addition, so it was like you gave me your one pound and I gave it, I earned two more kind of story. But right near the end, they, they, they have this tea they're going to have in Edinburgh and, and they invite all the students who've been there to come back for tea the, night, the next night before the meeting and they don't have any money. They spend everything they have. They don't have any refreshments. They don't have anything. And, and all, of the, all of the other students, when they hear this one guy get up and kind of stick their necks in the noose, they start praying, God help us, God help us. And before the meeting's done, most of the things are met. As the students file out, they say, hey, I've got some tea, I'll bring some dishes, all that, and the whole tea's taken care of until they sit down and tally it up and they realize they don't have a cake. And you can't have a good British tea. All the Scottish lads and lasses will not be happy if you don't give them cake. And they're like, what are we gonna do? So they pray, and they pray, and they pray, and they pray. Four o'clock the next day is when the meeting is supposed to take place. They, they go to the, the post office because they have general delivery. Nothing's there. They, they look around. There's a knock at the door. Maybe that's it. No, nothing, nothing. 345, they're fervently praying, God, what are you going to do when there's a knock at the door, and it's the postal carrier who's holding a big box. He said, this felt like it was... Uh, Perishable. It's actually past delivery time, but I don't like to leave perishable stuff overnight, so I thought I'd bring it to you. And they open it up, and guess what's inside? Hasn't even been damaged in transit, this perfect chocolate cake. It's like, that's exactly what we need, and it's exactly on time. And that was a God thing in that moment. Now, it's not just the heroes of the faith. It's regular people, too, that sometimes get to see pretty extraordinary things, like the woman who has gone on a missions trip to, to Kenya, and as she was preparing, she was out of the garage sale and she saw three soccer balls there that thought, I don't know why, but I just feel like I should buy those. She bought the soccer balls, took them all the way across the, the world to Kenya, not knowing why, and she's like the only Westerner in this prayer meeting at this school and all the, the it's the boys' chapel and, and all the boys are down towards the front praying passionately and one of the kids would call out something and they'd pray for that and then they'd call out something else and they'd pray for that and then one of the boys says, soccer balls! And they all start praying for soccer balls and the lights go on and she goes running back to her room and she brings these three soccer balls which are difficult to handle, opens the door and as she's doing it, one of them falls out of her hands and goes dum, 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 right down to the front and when, when it stops, one of the boys says, God, how did you do that? Right, totally cool. Wouldn't it be great to have a front row seat to see God do stuff like that? And my suggestion is, actually my assertion from this morning's text is we're actually supposed to have a front row seat to things like that. We need to have a front row seat to things like that. I need you to have a front row seat to things like that. And you need me to have that same front row seat because scripturally, that front row seat comes primarily when you and I, as God's family, are faithfully ministering to each other. It is when we are ministering to each other that the power of God expresses. I need you to experience the power of God because when you're experiencing the power of God in that context, guess what? He's working through you and he might be working in me. 
You need me to have those kinds of experiences of God's power because if I'm serving and his power is expressing through me, it just might be impacting you. If you have a Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're gonna quickly highlight two or three verses. We're not gonna get into the depths of this passage by any stretch. Um, but we want to just get a couple of key things that will be helpful for us this morning. And we're actually wrapping up the first section of our series on uh, you know, following the master. What's he doing and how do we get in on it? And this whole first month has been he's, he's creating a new people, his church. And we've looked at different aspects of that. We looked at last week how important encouragement is. The week before we looked at how, how important community is. This week we want to look at serving. Serving. That's why there's a ministry fair out there as you were coming in. It'll be there on the way out. By the way, we still have birthday cake, so get some birthday cake before you leave. Say hi to some people. Find out what's going on. Maybe find out how you can get involved in things. But here's why to get involved in things that we're going to look at this morning. And as we look at the church and we kind of wrap up our focus on the church the thing that we want to understand is that God is powerfully at work among his people as they minister. God is powerfully at work among his people as they minister. That's what he's doing. What do I do to get in on it? I need to accept the assignment he gives me and step into service. I need to accept the assignment he gives me and step into service. When that happens, God's power will manifest in my life and through my life. Sometimes, by the way, I'm convinced, even for normal people like you and me, sometimes, by the way, it will be pretty wild. It'll be pretty exciting. It'll be pretty amazing. It will even be things that are undeniably miraculous at times convinced of that, and I have experienced that, and I have seen that again and again. But it'll also show up in the more normal patterns of life where we'll just know that God is in, around, and through what is going on in a dramatic way that changes everything. And whether anyone else can see it, whether anyone else knows what's going on, I know what's going on, and I know that that's God. So many of us, I think, wrestle, where's God? How do I see him? How do I experience him? I think fundamentally a place to start is plug into getting involved in what he's doing in his family. Take the assignment he's giving you. Step into that and watch him work. So if you have a Bible open to 1 Corinthians 12, let's just read... Uh, A few verses, starting verse four. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And then he talks about various ways that plays out, various ministries and things that people do within the body and then kind of wraps up that section in verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now let's just stop there for a second and um, talk about what's going on in those verses. First off, uh, we're not gonna get into exactly what are spiritual gifts. That's a long conversation and there are different views people may have You may have different views 
um, that, that you can wrestle through from Scripture. Some would say these are abilities, special divine abilities that God gives to you and he gives to me, right? And certainly there is divine empowerment. That's a key theme in this text. He empowers us. Some would say it's not actually focused on the abilities. It's focused on the functions. It's focused on the roles. It's focused on the ministries. It's focused on the assignments and how we serve one another. And that's obviously central to what's going on here. So however you understand that, that's a worthy question we can look at another time, but however you understand that, the point is the same. God has a role for you and me to play. He has a role for you, me, you and me to play. He assigns that himself. It's a specific thing or things that he wants for me to be involved in, and he himself will empower that. His power will express through me as I step into what he's got for me. So let's just unpack that for a minute and think about it. Let's talk about the empowerment piece, the power of God. Do you see the power of God at work in your life? There's a lot of places it can show up, certainly in your personal transformation, that's absolutely central, but so many of the stories of God's power and the the more surprising things that he does take place in in community setting. It takes place as we're serving. I have seen God work powerfully in transforming me. I've also seen him work powerfully in what he does in, around, and through me. And because I know me, I know I'm really not that amazing. So when something amazing is going on, I know something else has to be happening. Right, I take my, my ministry very seriously. I work hard at study, I work hard at preparation, I work hard at communication, I work hard at trying to have a vision that is tied in with God and that he is leading us to. I work hard at trying to shepherd and lead. I work hard at the things he calls me to do and I think I'm faithful in that. But I'm far from perfect and yet I see results that are far from commensurate with me. That's how it works. I step into what he's got for me, and then he does some pretty significant things. He's the one who's building his church. He's the one who's assigning the roles. By the way, that's a fundamental question of this passage. People are getting all excited about, well, I can do the amazing stuff, and someone else is over in the corner going, I don't get to do the amazing stuff. I'm kind of quiet, and I just help around. And, And there's this hierarchy people are getting, and what he's saying is like, all of that's from God. Everybody, we're part of a body, and, and you can't, if you're a hand, you can't say, I don't need the foot. If you're an eyeball, you can't look down on the earlobe because they can't see, right? If you do something amazing that everyone looks at and goes, wow, you're, you're, what a cool thing, well, that's an assignment from God. Take it humbly and faithfully, and, and if you're over in the corner doing something that isn't noticed, that's an assignment from God, too. They're both his work, and his power flows in both situations, and the family needs all of that. Sharing from my own experience, because that's what I know. I could tell you stories of other people, but just my own experience is the power of God will flow as I seek to be faithful. Some of the more dramatic things, even as mundane as my life is, I live a pretty normal life. I've seen, I've been involved in casting out demons and seen people healed in direct response to prayer and I've had God speak in direct ways in in things that are only describable as miraculous. I've had those kinds of things. They're from God, I'm convinced of that. 
They're not my daily experience. They are, seem to be punctuated and according to his purposes, and they always happen in the context of me just doing what I'm supposed to do, me just being faithful, and then God breaks in and does something, and you go, wow, that was amazing. Right, George Mueller didn't sin, sit down to pray and say, hey, let's see if we can get some miraculous story that people will be telling 140 years from now. God, please work a miracle, Amen. He's just doing ministry that he's been called to do and the need comes up and he does what he's supposed to do. He prays and God shows up in that. By the way, God also shows up when he doesn't answer the prayer the way we expect and when he gives us the strength to go hungry. It's not all about, whoa, what a cool story. It's all about God's power working out in my life and your life. And that shows up when we're faithful. One of the ways that I've seen God show up is, is in preaching. Right? Um, I've been lead pastor here for almost 20 years, which means I've been the main preacher for almost 20 years. And I, I work hard at it, try to be faithful, try to stand up and have integrity with the text, integrity in my life, and integrity in what I share. But I'm human. It's not always perfect by any stretch. And one of the things that I, as I was reflecting on it, is I don't believe, I think this is a true statement, I don't think this is exaggerated, I don't believe I've ever one time in nearly 20 years stood up and given a sermon when I thought I had every opportunity to prepare like I would have wanted to. Every single sermon I have preached, it's like, oh, if I only had more time, if I could only do this, if I could only do that, it's always a, this is the best I've got, Lord. And in fact, here's what is my regular occurrence, right, in the context of faithfulness, Late in the process, when it's time to move from study and what this means to really form the message into here's how it'll communicate for us, I will regularly find myself going, I got nothing. I will literally find myself head in hands or head on the desk going, God, I have nothing. I know the text, I could walk you through the text, I, I, but it's not the same thing. I don't know what you want me to say. I don't know how you want me to say it. It's not working yet, you gotta help me, you gotta show up. When you preach to the same group for decades, one of the challenges is how do you engage people, right? There's only so many stories to tell. I don't want to steal somebody else's story that would lack integrity. There's only so many other stories I can read. There's only so many experiences I have. I was having a conversation with a friend who also preaches a lot the other day and said, you know, if God ever took us to different places, we'd have lots of stories. Man, it would be so easy to preach. Like for 300 sermons, I'd have just the right. How does that work? God shows up, and I just have to trust him. The last number of weeks has been no different. In fact, maybe even a little harder than it typically is. And yet over the last several weeks, as we've wrapped up the services, people have, have met me at some point in the patio, people that aren't prone to just say nice things, people that are serious and discerning. Someone said, you know, older person, that is the most powerful sermon I've ever heard in my life. Another person a different sermon, said they'd been here ever since I've been here. That is the most powerful sermon I have ever heard you preach. Someone else, you know that story you told? That totally changed my life. I almost didn't tell the story. 
Do I believe I preached the most powerful sermon this elderly person has actually heard in their life? I do not. I do not. Do I believe that that was the most powerful sermon I had ever preached that this other person said? I do not. Do I think they lack integrity? I do not. What happened? I think it was solid. I worked hard. I did what I could, and God showed up, and he met them there in a powerful way. So for them in that moment, that was their experience, and that was God. That wasn't me. Did my part, but that was God. Right? Paul is talking to a church. They're all hung up on, look at the fancy cool stuff we get to do and all the fireworks and the amazing. He says, focus on the main thing here. You're all part of this. You're all to minister to one another, and God's power will show up for all of you as you do what it is that he's called you to do. Don't get concerned if it's the fancy thing or it's the quiet thing. Be faithful, and the Spirit of God will work. I've seen transformation take place in lives that I can't explain any other way. I, two guys I was thinking of, both of, I had baptized them both, they both moved to other places and are involved in other churches, but they both started exactly the same spot, sorry, right over here where you are, Marlon. <laughs> Just the way it is, I'm sorry. Only you aren't sitting like them, they started like this. One of them was eyes down the whole time and the other one would occasionally lift his eyes to glare at me. That was not an exaggeration, it was very uncomfortable. What are you even here for? You obviously hate me and everything I stand for. Please don't kill me. And, and, and this is weeks and months. Family member brought him. And you could just watch how God was working. This is me. I'm not good enough at winning people over, but you could watch how God is working. The arms open up. The posture opens up. The, the face softens. They start leaning forward. They start listening more intently. They start moving forward. Something's happening. It's God who's doing something. I, I had the privilege of baptizing each of those guys. And they served here well and faithfully. That was a God thing. All I was doing was trying to be faithful. I've watched him flip, radically flip people, where I'm just trying to be faithful and I've had a couple of people that have squared off with me. One I didn't even know. One time he and I were praying, I thought we were real friends and I think we really were, but after our prayer time he said, you know, when it was time to vote for the pastor, whether you should be the pastor or not, I voted against you. Like, what do you say? <laughs> Thanks? <laughs> I just let it hang there for a minute. And then he said, I was wrong. And then he encouraged me, right? There was something that, it wasn't me. <laughs> he didn't want me. Uh, and yet something happened where God, God flipped his perspective because of the things God was doing, not the things I was doing, right? Sometimes things haven't gone smoothly. I've been in a hard place, and I've had to be the one to change. Sometimes I've had to stay faithful, and it hasn't just flipped, and God has shown up in giving me the power and the grace to persevere. God has said, I am at work amongst my people. My power will manifest as you serve each other. So serve, serve. And he said, and I've got an assignment. Did you see that? He says, um, Right, there's varieties 
of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. To each is given a manifestation. Then verse 11, he apportions to each one individually as he wills. God has something for me, he has something for you. It's not the same thing, but we're part of the same team going the same direction, and he's gonna do something through you. So it's your job to find out what he has for you and to step into that. Just as it's my job to find out what he has for me and to step into that. And as I do what I do faithfully, he shows up and he can multiply that and maybe he can do something in your life. And as you do what it is you're supposed to do faithfully, he shows up and he multiplies that and maybe he can do something in my life. Now, you may not know what is it I'm supposed to do. That's why we have a ministry fair this morning. So you can just check out what the things are, right? You pray, you ask questions, you talk to people, you say, what should I be doing? You listen for what God might say, and then you step out. You step out, and here's two things I would encourage you. One is, what, what are you well-suited for? Well-suited would be one, one little phrase I'd give you. The other is willing service, right? Well-suited. God made you a certain way. He's given you certain abilities. You like certain things, you're past, that's a great place to start because that may be in fact what he wants from you. Maybe that's why he gave it to you. But the willing service side also has to be there and that has to come out of the needs that are in front of you. You may be really good at something that's not really the big need right now and that's not, okay, well I guess I sit down. No, what's needed? How do I step into that? Am I a willing servant? Remember what Paul said? He said, this, this is a really important verse. We look at it and we miss this piece, I think, sometimes. He's, he's had these great experiences and God actually gives him a, a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. And he says, please take this away. I'm, I'm paraphrasing 2 Corinthians 12. And, and God says, I'm not gonna do that. Power is, is perfected in weakness, right? My grace is sufficient for you. And then what, God, what Paul says, don't miss that part. Verse 10, most gladly therefore will I offer my weaknesses. A sign of spiritual maturity is not I'm willing to bring my strengths to the table. That's a starting point. A sign of spiritual maturity is I am willing to bring my weaknesses to the table. I literally got nothing and you can have that too. And if I look like a fool, it's not about me anyway. I'm ready to serve and here's the need. And it may not be what gets me super excited, but I'm excited about you, Lord. And I want to serve your family. And I know your power flows in my weakness, so here's my weakness. You can use that too. By all means, if you can serve in your strength, do so. But if you can't find that opportunity, then serve out of weakness. Because 1 Corinthians 12 is saying, I'll empower you. I'm going to work in power through these things. I'm going to assign to you things to do. Those assignments don't always match abilities. Sometimes they're out of phase with them on purpose. Because God doesn't need my ability in the first place. He needs my willing heart. So God is at work powerfully among his people my response is then willingly step into my assignment. A couple of other verses I want us to read real quickly. Chapter 12, right at the end, verse 31. He's gone on, he's talked about the body and how we can't get all up and, you know, we can't, we can't think we're better than everyone else because we have something fancy and they have something quiet. 
right? We all need each other. And then he he, kind of wraps it up by listing, here's some of the things that God's doing. And then verse 31, he, he exhorts him, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, we need to read that carefully. Sometimes we read that and say, here's a hierarchy of the gifts, and you know, at the bottom is things like tongues. That cannot be what he means. Otherwise, everything he said in chapter 12 has been a waste of ink. He's just said it's not about this or that. God's in all of it. He's just said the eyeball is not better than the earlobe, and the big toe is at no disadvantage to the neck. You may be a toenail in the body of Christ, and if you think that's not very good, let me come over and rip your toenail off and see how that feels. It's important, right? He just said it's all important. So when he comes to this point, he's not saying, well, I I really didn't mean that. There's really important stuff and there's lesser important stuff. He's saying, pay attention. I want you to see the more excellent way is the the motive, the, the thing that undergirds your service. That's love. That's all chapter 13. And as he unpacks this theme as it goes through, he's also gonna say, and the key is, are you leveraging, by the grace of God, are you leveraging the impact that you can have? There is a sense in which tongues is lesser than prophecy in this way. People in Corinth were all worked up about tongues and they were doing this and it was like a a zoo and people were saying you guys are crazy and nobody was interpreting. So when you're doing that, maybe you're engaging with God, you don't even understand what's going on. Nobody else understands what's going on. Isn't it better for people to understand and have their lives changed? So desire prophecy, in fact, that's what it says in chapter 14, verse one. Picking up that same idea, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Right? He's not unsaying tongues doesn't matter, prophecy's the thing. He's saying, look, how you've been serving is you've not been. You've been serving yourself, going for your experience and whatever's cool for you in the moment. That's a waste. You need to be motivated by love and you need to have an eye to say, how does this actually impact others? Because that's the goal. The power of God flowing through your life to change other people. One more verse. Verse 12. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit. They were all over that, okay? Since that's the case, I want you to do this. Strive to excel in building up the church. So let me give you one phrase to kind of capture this for you nerds like me, and then I'll bring the rest of us in. In mathematics, physics especially, there's something called a vector, right? It looks like an arrow, but it's not. It is an arrow that has a whole different level of meaning. It has a direction and has a magnitude. It's not just a random, we're kind of going this way. There's a real focus where it's going and there's an intensity that it counts, right? Ministry is a vector kind of thing. Okay, now the rest of you can come back in. Here's how this works. My life is going somewhere and it's going somewhere with passion. It's about magnitude and direction. Not just am I doing something to make a difference, by God's grace and humbly, right, this is not about me seeking me, but humbly am I looking to see how he wants to leverage that in the lives of other people. 
What's the fo- is the directional arrow of my life going outward? Question number one. And number two, am I pursuing that with passion? Is the directional arrow in my life going outward? He says, here's the great commandment, love God and love others. It can't possibly be about me is the most important question if that's the great commandment. He says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, be a servant. In fact, if you want to be the greatest, be the servant of all. That can't possibly be about me. He says, if you want to follow me, take your cross and follow me. Doesn't say sit in your easy chair after you've had your nap. If you feel like it, come outside because I'm serving drinks by the pool. Right? He said, we're on a journey and it's not about you. Deny yourself. We have a trouble with that phrase for, for two reasons. One is we just don't like it. Nobody likes that. But the other is we actually misunderstand it. We misunderstand what it is to deny ourselves in a, in a biblical sense. We hear it like dieting instead of like parenting. Right? When you're dieting, you say, oh, back. There's a peanut butter cookie in the other room. I am going to deny myself. And it's all about, I'm not going to do that. As much as I want that, I'm not going to do that. Oh, I'm not, uh. That is not what God calls you and me to. He's not saying, hey, give up everything and try to make life hard, and, and maybe if you do enough spiritual kale, you'll do okay. <laughs> it's like parents. Parents will often forego the last cookie to give it to the child. Not because they're trying to deny themselves a cookie, but because they love the child. Besides that, they know that the child's going to go to bed and there's a whole jar of cookies in the other room <laughs> that they get to have when the kid's asleep. Right? Denying ourselves biblically is like a parent, not like a diet. I'm giving up something for a reason. It's going somewhere. The directional arrow of my life isn't to say, how hard can I make it? How difficult can it be? Ooh, this is tough. It must be God's. It's like, I'm here to serve. And if that's hard... There's a place for boundaries, there's a place for all those things, but it doesn't start in my heart. In my heart, it starts with an absolute surrender to say the directional arrows move away. First to God and then to God's people as he wants me to serve them and reaching out to others, and that's how he's designed me to be. He's saying, this has been given to you for the good of other people. I want you to be passionate about this. Strive to excel. I mean, it says... You know, earnestly desire, earnestly desire, strive to excel at this. There's a cost. Be willing to pay the cost. This isn't a pastime. This is like a central focus. I need you to experience God's power. I need you to see it up close and personal because it's flowing right through you. The reason I need that is because as your pastor, I want you to experience God and to grow in your relationship and worship, and I also need to be blessed by you. And as you let him use you, he's going to bless me through that, and he's going to bless the people around you, and he's going to bless you as well. Paul says, God's doing a lot of things. Don't get hung up on what somebody else is doing versus what you're doing. Just your assignment's there, and if you don't know what it is, go find it. But pour yourself out and watch God work. Lord, I pray that you would help us to embrace the assignment you have for us. Lord, 
I know some of us are just weary and exhausted and, and maybe this is just a season to be poured into. You're more than capable of, of, of pointing us to the time and the place and prodding us to say it's time. You've sat long enough, you need to get up. Lord, if that's where some of us are, I pray that you would do that in this moment. I pray that you would encourage us to embrace your ministry, what you've called us to, to step into that and to see you work. May we love each other and be transforming agents in each other's lives because we're faithful what you call us to and your power is flowing. And Lord, sometimes that's power that causes us to delight and celebrate. Sometimes that's power that just enables us to get through the next challenging day. But it's your power that we need and you've allowed us to play that role in each other's lives. May we do so faithfully. And Lord, as we give these gifts for this offering, I pray that would be one expression of it. In Jesus' name, amen.